Welcome to the Sanctuary Podcast. Angel Deer is a medicine man and offers his work on sacred land through shamanic healing, energy healing, sound healing, breath work, plant medicine, and workshops and events. The Sanctuary is a community for all those who seek healing transformation, ancient wisdom, and a place to come together to create a new way of living and relating. This is the Sanctuary Podcast, and this is Angel Deer. So good evening, everyone, and welcome. Uncle, um, we just had a little chat, and uh, welcome again, and it's such a pleasure such a pleasure uh, to be connected to you uh, here and with everyone that's joining. So I just wanted to read a little bit of your bio. And that always feels very weird to me to read the bio of an elder because I know I should read a book and I should say so many more things. Um, but I want to read, you know, what, what's written here. And so... Uh, so you're a shaman, a traditional healer, a storyteller, and a carrier of the kilot, the wind drum. And I'll probably ask you about that. With the family belongs to the traditional healers of the far north, come Kalalait Nunat in Greenland. Sorry for the mispronunciation. Maybe you'll tell me how to pronounce this good. And your name means, you were telling me that, the man who looks like his uncle. So I'm going to call you uncle tonight. And since you were a child, you were trained by uh, your family, especially by your grandmother, Anakasa, for becoming a shaman. And the spiritual task given by your mother is melting the ice in the heart of man. Mm-hmm. How beautiful is that? So it says that you bridge the boundaries of cultures and faith in people, young and old. Your work has taken you all over the world in 70 countries. Uh, I've seen some beautiful talk of you. You've conducted seminars and circles and traditional sweat lodge. And your uh, teachings are deeply rooted in the wisdom of the oral healing tradition of your people, which enabled people from over thousands of years to survive in one of the harshest places on earth. And I have a beautiful photo in my background here uh, that comes from your region. And so since the ceremony in Greenland in 2009, where the sacred fire has been brought back to Greenland, you've been carrying the title of Anga Korsuak, the great shaman. So I also wanted to say that, you know, all the donations tonight are going to go to help you build a healing center. And we'll talk about that, you know, talk later tonight. But without further ado, uh, welcome, Uncle. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to meet you. And I love the picture behind you. We call her Iluliak. Iluliak, which is some, something inside. This, this big iceberg comes from this big inside from the big ice. That's mm. a carved. And then this looks to be but 200 meters. Mm-hmm. So nine more times is on, in the ocean. 
So that means the ice is really, really thick. Anyway, I, I, I'm so happy to meet you. I, I'm, I looked at people and I want to say hello to everybody. The greetings to every one of you. I'm, I'm happy to meet you. And then I look forward to meet you somewhere in this world. Mm. You were saying into your intro, introduction that uh, that I come that I have worked in sev over seventy countries. I just came home from uh, a small country called the uh, from Dubai, the big city of Dubai. I will advise that no none of you goes down there. It's simply too hot. <laughs> It's true. It is too hot. So it's it's thirty Celsius every day. That I think that was thousand Fahrenheit. I don't know Fahrenheit at all. So yeah, so what I, is the what is the temperature where you are right now today? What was it? No, this morning is minus twenty four. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's a bit different. Yeah. <laughs> so, different from Dubai. So that was my seventy fifth country I worked in. I, I was told by our father that I should never go without being invited. So I never went anywhere in, on earth without being invited. So then I was invited by the World Expo mm -hmm. as a speaker. So I was down there in Dubai. Anyway, so nice to meet every one of you. I promise to say a little prayer. Yes, I would love that. Yeah, to open this space with a, with a prayer. Yeah. yeah, thank you, Uncle. Because in my world where I come from, our beloved grandmother, Anna Kassai, says that life is a ceremony in itself, worthy celebrating with a ceremony. But when the ceremony loses its spirit, it becomes a ritual. So we would ask her what that thing about ritual is. And she would explain it that ritual is something you and I we would do. We don't know exactly why it's being done like that, but we do it because the other people do that. And it's so interesting, as I was growing up in the 50s, she said, and the world as it is, is full of rituals. And it's so interesting in my travels around the world, where I have worked, that she was right. The world is full of rituals. People do things because that's the way it's being done. They don't know exactly why it's being done like that, but they do it because that's the way it's being done. Mm. And that beautiful spirit of the ceremony of your own thing, your own creation is so incredibly important. The way the old people explain it is that when you and I, we do something from our heart in our ceremony, that ceremony will begin to grow. And just like anything growing, sooner or later, a bud will be born. And that bud will begin to open. And a flower is born. But that flower, sooner or later, will come to full blossom. And when she does, she will have seeds in her. 
And because you, you and I, we live on this earth, the winds of change will come upon you. And my grandmother will add on to say, and it does not matter if you believe it or not, the winds of change will come upon you. But when that happens, the wind will blow away the seeds, which comes from your ceremony. And then your ceremony will land somewhere else. Then another ceremony is born. It stems from you, but it's no longer yours. And that, that's how that circle grows by the ceremony where it becomes yours, it becomes yours, and you develop it and develop it, evolve it deeper, better, more beautiful, more respectful, or all these things attributes we all dream to live by. Then a bud will be born in your heart. And that bud sooner or later will open up, become a flower. And this beautiful flower will come to a full blossom. The seeds coming out of it. And then the winds of change will come and blow it away. Then other ceremonies are born. That's how your ceremonies can grow all over the world. I, I found it always so beautiful because I had, this is my drum. Your name is Qilaut, Q-I-L-A-U-T. And it really means an instrument from the gray sky. That's our instrument from the far north. All the Eskimos of Greenland, Canada, Alaska, and Siberia, and Chukchi Peninsula, Aleutian Islands, we had the same drum. Of all the tribes on Earth, my people are the largest landholders of any tribe on Earth. Our land has 11, no, 13 time zones from east to west. And the big airplane of United Airlines, when she flies from top of Greenland to the middle of the island or Newfoundland, it would take her more than nine hours to fly. So that means that my land is enormous, really enormous. Mm. And so we all had that payload. Um, This is the way I do in my prayers. I have those two thoughts. Oh, can you, can you hear? Yes, we can. You were mentioning about melting the ice in a heart of man. I was a runner for the elders since 1975. But now all these elders have died. I'm the only one left. And now I'm the oldest one. I'm going to become 75 in November. 
And it's so interesting to realize all these elders who were behind me, they were all gone. Now I'm standing alone. And it becomes so incredibly amazing to realize, holy shoot, I have a responsibility. And I, and I, and I never took my responsibility because I had all these elders who helped me, but nobody's there. So now I really had to learn to grow up and become worthy of being an elder. So this is when my beloved, when our beloved mother passed on, we knew that she was special. I mean, she was really special. And she has touched upon so many people. When she died, we wrote, in those days, there was no internet. And um, so we wrote notices to the world in which we knew to tell them that our beloved mother has passed on. And letters arrived. Then one letter came in from China, of all places. And it was from a young man who my mother greeted in front of the shop, grocery store, in the big city of Nuuk, the capital of Greenland. Because my father was a government agent. So he would tell us his eight children, a new person has arrived into town, go and greet him. So we would go and greet people as we were instructed. So my mother and my father, we were going to the grocery store, the three of us. And I can see down at outside the grocery store, really, really tall, skinny man, much taller than everybody else. And my mother is this tall. I'm a very tall man. I'm 169 millimeters. So just I'm really tall, short. And my mother was short. She went up to this young man, took his collar, and pulled him down. And then she gave him a kunich, as we say, a sniff, the Eskimo kiss. <laughs> now, I don't know if you heard about a little country called Hollywood. It's a very tiny little country. It's somewhere in California. They rub noses there. Yes. We don't rub noses. We sniff each other. We sniff, actually sniff each other to understand what emotions you're in now. With every emotion you have, your smell change. So, so she did that. She sniffed at him. And then she went into the store. I was meters behind her. And I see this young man standing up with tears running down. And that young man wrote a letter to my family from China. He had become head of a paint, Danish paint, paint company in China. Uh -huh. And he said in his letter, your mother, truly melted the ice in my heart. 
All she did was give that young man a sniff. And that's it. So, so many years later, I was part of the eldest group at United Nations. And I kept going to all these amazing meetings all over the world. And one day, I decided, no, I cannot do that anymore. I cannot. Because all we, all we did, we can go to meetings. And I, I, I mean, I, I love meetings. And I love going to restaurants. And when we say that we're going to meet in Rio, somebody will say, oh, we had to go to that restaurant. And we discuss and discuss and never come to an agreement. That's how the world works. We have many meetings, we have many get-togethers, but none of us change. So I was in New York City at, at um, United Nations Environment meetings, and I realized that I cannot do that anymore. I can't, because I was wasting the time and the energy of the elders I was running for. Mm. Because every time I came home, I had to tell them who I met, what I saw, what I experienced, and what I heard from all these meetings. And I've done that since 1975. So I decided as I'm leaving New York to fly off to Copenhagen and back home to Greenland, that I'm going to tell my mother that this is my last meeting with the elders. I can't do it anymore. So I got I got home and my mother has taken over my father's chair and then I sat on her chair and she made me a cup of coffee. She made herself a cup of tea. And then we were there for a silence, just she and I. And I said to her, Mother, I can't do it anymore. Tonight, when I meet the elders, I will tell them that, that I want I will no longer be a runner for the elders. And she was looking at me and she said to him, Oh. And then she says, and then she got up from the chair. And of course, when your mother gets up, you get up too. So I got up and she faced me and she took my hands. And then I looked at her in, in her eyes. Most serene, most beautiful spirit one can look at. Being a son, that's how I describe my mother. There. And she looked at me and she said, son, you just can't have to change the ways. And I can hear that. Yes. How? You're going to have to learn to melt the ice in the heart of man. Only by melting the ice in the heart of man, man will have a chance to change and begin using his knowledge wisely. I can hear that. So when she stopped, I shook her hands and she opened them and I looked at her and I said to her, how? Then my mother being my mother, she closed her eyes, so I closed my eyes and she said, my son, you just kind of have to change your ways. 
You're going to have to learn to melt the ice in the heart of man. Only by melting the ice in the heart of man, man will have a chance to change and begin using his knowledge wisely. Then she shook her hands and I opened my eyes and she had the most serene, beautiful smile. And she went to her kitchen to prepare food. And that's how I came to the point, the spiritual significance of climate change. People have no concept how severe it is. Yes, you can now read billion pages of documents from all over the world of all ideas of what's happening. But it's really interesting. My land is the most desolate and isolated place on earth. Really harsh climate. The big ice is more than 2,000 kilometers long from north to south and 1,750 kilometers from east to west on the widest part in the north. And when I was born 74 years ago, on the average, it was five kilometers thick. That's more than three miles thick. Now, it's less than two kilometers, barely a mile, or less than a mile thick. And Anya, my assistant, is somewhere on this call as well. She's a queen to my land. There's a little river coming from the big ice, when summer comes, the ice starts to melt and that river begins to run. And since 2000, and yes, since 2000, or a bit earlier, that little river sometimes runs more than one million liters per second. Where you are now in, in New York State, just north is a place called Niagara Falls. It's a beautiful river. That big river runs 750,000 liters per second. My little river runs more than 1 million liters per second, except there's more than 10,000 rivers in Greenland. More than 10,000 rivers and most of them running more than a million liters per second. So the impact of climate change is not no longer just the uh, autos we drive, all the gasoline we use, all this air conditioning we use in uh, Dubai. You cannot live without air conditioning down there. And that creates things up in the air, eating ozone, and making things really, really difficult for Earth. And there are seven and a half billion of us, and most of them use air conditioning. And that causes big ice to melt. And it's really, really, really bad. But 
Nobody can stop it. Nobody. No matter what you do, it's not going to stop. Every day in the United States of America, that little country, I can't remember how many billions cars drive every single day on the highways. And your car has four tires. And the RPM rotation of your tires, the highway shaves off tiny little rubbers. And that, because of the, you're driving fast, they become cut up in the air. And they go up and they become part of the jet stream in the Northern Hemisphere. And then they come over the big ice of Greenland and they freeze. It becomes too heavy, so they fall down. Now, when you come this summer in August to the Eldest Gathering, I'm inviting all of you. There, I will take you to the big ice, and you will see that big ice is no longer white. It's black with car tires from the Northern Hemisphere. It's not only the United States of America, it's not only Canada, it's every country in the Northern Hemisphere. There are billions upon billions of cars driving, and every time they're on the highway, those robbers are taken off, shaken off, by the, the highway is soft, because it's asphalt. And those tiny, tiny pieces of rubber are so fine that the air just take them up and jet stream comes upon it and they fall down. Right now, we're going to have a new year in 20 days. 21st of March, that's our new year. That's when the sun shines for the first time in the belly button of Mother Earth. Belly button of Mother Earth is the, uh, is the North Pole. The Earth has two belly buttons, the one in the North and one in the South Pole. And on March 21, the sun will rise. She has been away for six months, and now she will stay up for six months. And it was a shine, 24 hours a day. Of course, the latitude changes with Earth shifts around. So the new year is coming up. And then uh, you can see on the big ice, when the fresh snow melts, black kilometers upon kilometers, you can see black coming from car tires. And nobody can stop using the cars. You can't do that to, you can't do that. Then on top of that, is, have you heard about this, a small TV station in the United States called CNN? Yeah, they, they came. They came with a crew, and uh, they were doing some documentations. 
And then I've been talking to them about that now we have sand from Mojave Desert in Greenland. And nobody could believe me that uh, how can sand fly from Mojave Desert to Greenland? It's, it's really simple. When the air is really, really dry, the winds get stronger. So it swirls up the sand and lifts him up, and upper winds takes over, and it goes all the way up to Greenland to the big ice. Then it big ice is minus 40 Celsius on the average. Then, and that goes way, way up in the big sky. You can feel that cold. The sand becomes too heavy, and they fall down on the big ice. That's the brown Mojave Desert sand. Then we have red sand from Sahara. Just like that, in that big heat down there, the wind throws around and picks up the sand and takes them up north, and they become too heavy over Greenland. So now we have two kinds of sand on the big ice, the brown sand and the red sand of Sahara. So the CNN wanted to know, can you show us where they are? So I went around and I walked around and on one of the big walls, one of the fingers of the big ice close to my land. And I was so excited. So I said, oh, I found it, I found it, I found it. There was a streak, southbound, the brown sand on the big ice. I was so excited. They cannot hear me when I screamed because the river is so strong. But I found myself screaming and yelling at these people. Finally, I found them. But as I found them, I looked for the, for the north. Going northward, there was the red sand of Sahara. I was so excited that I could prove it to them that it is true. It's not just uncle imagining that Mojave Desert sand will come to Greenland or Sahara sand will come to Greenland. We could actually see it. So they filmed it. But that's, that tells you that things have changed. The winds are more stronger. And you can see that those of you who live on the coast, you can see how much waves has become bigger and stronger. And if you ever go to a little country called Florida, you will see that it start to sink. I was very privileged to be invited by my family of Seminoles to do a ceremony when they found the last ancient village as they were building a big high rise in the harbor of Miami Beach. And they found a village of ancient village, thousands of years old. So I went down there with my family of Seminoles and we did a ceremony for our, of their ancestors. But they had to ward off the ocean because the ocean is so high that it was washing the ancient village away. But they were still building high rise. 
Now, Miami, city of Miami spent $400 million every year to pump out salt water from the streets. The same thing in Miami Beach. Another $400 million every year to pump out salt water from the street. Every full moon, there are 19 of them. So, so Paul, I have, a, yeah, I have a question for you. And this problem, you know, they're really showing us that everything is connected. You know, what's happening in Greenland, here, Miami, mm-hmm. Dubai, you know, but we seems to be, we seem to be as human very often preoccupied by other things, you know, and there's always something else on the news that distract from the, I feel the big question sometimes, you know, right now there is a war in Europe, you know, in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. There's other wars going on in other parts of the world. There has been the COVID pandemic and, you know, kind of seems to ease, but still a bit in the background. And so we have now more and more of those issues that are more global. And we start to realize that and to feel that, you know, it's not just happening in Africa, in Asia, in Greenland. It's happening in New York. New York was flooded a few years ago and, and it keeps getting worse, you know. But the to re- rephrase what you were saying or to take, you know, on what you were saying, like this ice is melting. And I can't even, I cannot even imagine and comprehend what 10,000 of rivers at this amount of water, what does it really mean? You know, as, as a human being, I feel so small compared to that very big thing that is happening here. But it doesn't always feel like the ice is melting in the, in the heart of man. It feels very often like what's happening, you know, in Ukraine right now, there are places that we get afraid and we get very more protective and we close our borders and mm-hmm. it feels like the ice is, you know, tightening sometime around the heart of man. So in your, in your tradition, you know, in your, how you're seeing it and you've seen it happening for so long now, you know, across your life. How do we go about that? You know, how do we approach such, such big question and such big things and, and do that work that really matters for each other's? How do we reconnect? This is, this is what I was going to be saying and pray about. Mm. I get caught up in my own. I didn't forget the prayer I was going to ask you. Don't worry. <laughs> You know, melting the ice in the heart of man, when I was told about it the first time, uh, I went to bed that night, because I had been traveling quite a while there. So I meditated upon it. What does it mean that we have ice in our heart? Mm. What does it really mean? What is my mother saying? Why is she saying that? She has eight children and and 33 grandchildren. And and then, and then she talks about that we have eyes in our heart. And so I meditate upon the next day 
over breakfast. We sat there and then we talked and then, and she says, when we go downtown, the biggest city of Greenland, at this, when she was living, it was uh, about 8,000 people living in there. Now there are 20,000. And notice how many greet each other. And I, I, I never thought of it, you know, just uh, me, I just go and greet people and hug them and give them a sniff. And, and I was instructed just to observe how many do that. And it was so interesting to see families meeting each other, just acknowledging each other, but don't say good morning, don't say good morning. How are you? doesn't connect to each other. So we went to these doors, and then it was so true what my mother was saying. There are so many people who, they, they, they know each other, but they don't go and give each other a little hug and sniff, just to see how they are doing, how they smell like in their emotions. What, what emotions are you carrying today? And they didn't do that. It's so interesting. A big city of 8,000 people had stopped and created so much ice in the heart that they don't even say good morning. And if you ever go to New York, New York City, you'll be among, I don't know, 10 million people. Mm. Nobody will ever see you. Nobody will ask, oh, how are you? Where are you from? What's your name? How's your family? You wouldn't do that. Wait, and if someone sniff you, you're probably going to punch them. <laughs> so that, that's how we have developed the ice in our heart. Mm. And that we stop connecting to each other. Had we stayed connected, we would have understand the impact we have in everyone's life. We have no concept of it today. We don't even greet each other. So that's a disaster you and I, we built in our life. All things happening out there, oh no, I don't want to be involved, it's not my case. It's our case. Everyone is responsible for each other. You and I and all of us, we are all responsible for each other every single day. But we don't do that anymore. And I have traveled more than most people can ever imagine. And, um, and I've been to more places than I can, I can count. And it's so interesting that I can sit in a big city of Sao Paulo, having a cup of coffee, not one person all day long asking me, oh, where are you from? Oh, what's your name? What brings you here? Well, there are 21 million people that live in there. Not one person, not one. 
and stop by and say, whoa, you're new here. What's your name? Where are you from? Nobody does that. I got stuck through snowstorm in New Jersey airport one year. The airport was filthy and dirty and thousands of people. I watched them. They did not greet each other at all. That's how far apart we have grown. And only by melting that ice in our heart will you and I will be reconnected, recognizing each other and realizing I can never do things alone. You can never do things alone. We all need all the help we can get from everywhere. A little smile will lift one's spirit so high that a smile will be born inside. And that goes on to the next person. And the whole energy of the room will change just by a little smile. I come from a small village, three houses, and that's it. That's, uh, that's where I grew up until I was 13 years old. There were no street lights, there was no electricity, so. But between the three houses, sometimes we hit each other because we're running. We can't see through the stones. And, and um, so the same issues are in the, in the big city, you know. Street signs or corners and so on. And they run between each other, but they don't say hello. They don't say, how are you? How was your trip coming down here? Don't do that. I spoke in, in the World Expo. And I met, I saw thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people. There were so few who connected. So few who connected to each other. So the world has changed and the impact is really negative. Extremely negative. You mentioned the big war coming up. Yes, a big war is being born now and it's going to spread and it's going to affect our lives, yours and every one of us here. Our lives will be impacted more than you can imagine. It's no longer just the climate change. Now it's a war. Yes, war has always existed. Your country in the United States of America had never known one single day of peace as a country. Not one single day since the creation of the United States of America has there been peace. I remember in the 70s, as the elder, or honor for the elders, I was in Washington, D.C., and in those days, most of you probably don't remember something called postcard. It's a great-grandfather of, of, of chats, WhatsApp chats. It's something you write, 
and with a nice picture. I collected those postcards and I took them to the elders. And I was down there at Christmas time. So I went home. And it was this beautiful old man, old old man in his 90s. He was holding a postcard with the pictures on it. And then he was writing on it. He, and I was sitting next to him and he said, son, could you translate for me? What, what does he say? He says, the Merry Christmas, peace on earth. That's all it said. So he looked at me in bewilderment and he asked me, these people, do they want peace only on Christmas Day? Isn't it amazing? I didn't know how to answer that question. I really run out of what to say, but that day, I didn't know what to say. That's why I researched if the United States has ever known peace. No, the United States of America has never seen one single day of peace. That country has always been involved in war all over the world and at home. And it's getting worse and worse and worse. Now another war is being born in Europe. And that needs a prayer. This is a prayer I created myself after my mother died. Our mother died. I was traveling, doing healing work in Arctic Canada. I landed a contract to work with 80, 85 men and two women who had been sexually abused by a schoolmaster in five villages. I landed a contract for three years. Every month I traveled to those villages. I do these circles, our ceremonies, and there was lots of tears. And every Kleenex, when finished, go and put it in your pocket, put it on the floor, and I will collect them. And then before we go out on the land, we invite the community. And we do the ceremony of burning the tears away with these men were humanized by a man who was sick. And so I have been building that tune for our mother. And I finished that village and I was going to another one in the, on the islands of Hudson Bay. I was in a twin or a small airplane and I was talking to my mother and I said, um, this is my gift. Because I, only now do I realize 
what an important person you have been, not only in my life, but the life of my brothers and sisters and so many, many other people. Because she was a medicine woman. And I chanted the prayer in the airplane. And that was the first time I chanted it. And I, I told her, and that chant would be heard by the world. And then every time we pray, we give our prayer a breath of our own. My grandmother says that um, when you pray for somebody and talk to the great one, <clears throat> give it a breath. So by the time it comes to him, he knows it's come from you. So I did that. And then he will then give the answer through his helpers, which are our ancestors, and we can see them in Northern Lights. They are, and then they will bring the answer with, with stunning accuracy. Can you imagine? that the Great One will give an answer of your own personal prayer, the answer will be with stunning accuracy. Is it true that, that the power of Him? Yes, it is. You should practice. And it's really stunning to realize how accurate whoever that is, it can be, or it is. So, except when I came to Italy, they didn't think about the ancestors, they thought about the angels. So I met one of the angels. I met uh, Miss, uh, I can't remember his name. I met the one, one angel. Yeah, oh God, I cannot remember his name. Anyway, I met an angel. He was a statue of, made of iron. So I embraced him at the foot. The Archangel Michael. Archangel Michael. So oh. I met him. Yeah. So, so, so I realized that the impact on my mother. And lo and behold, when I came home, the a dear friend of mine called me up. He said, Uncle, are you coming? I said, Of course I'm coming. Where? Johannesburg. So Dr. Jane Goodall called up and asked me to come with her to Johannesburg. And Dr. Jane, I don't know if you know her, but Dr. Jane Goodall is a really, really famous person. And wherever she goes, there's always press. And I had to walk them off. And, and, and then she was interviewed by the BBC International Radio. And then when they finished the interview, I can hear the producer asking, 
Dr. Jen, do you have someone else we can interview who has interesting story to tell? And Dr. Jen, she doesn't ask, she just tells, oh yeah, he's right here. She pointed at me and said, no, 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 no. But then I got interviewed. And um, and I asked him, would you mind if I chanted a prayer? And I chanted the melting ice in the heart of man into BBC International Radio. And it would broadcast around the globe. So that's the power of prayer. I learned it from childhood. I believe in it. Sometimes I argue with God and I get really angry with him. I yell at him. I say words I cannot say on this TV. Uh, but his capacity is enormous. Enormous. I created a chant which my family loves. And it's in, in the honor of our mother. She was the one who instructed me to learn to melt the ice in the heart of man. She says, only by melting that ice in the heart, man will have a chance to change and begin using his knowledge wisely. And I realized you, all of you here, you got so much knowledge. Every one of you has so much knowledge. Can you imagine? Can you just imagine for a moment using that vast knowledge to carry wisely? You could change the world. Every one of you, without exception, every one of you literally could change the world by using the vast knowledge you have wisely. And that comes from a woman who had a grade three education, self-taught in reading and counting. And my grandmother never went to school. She was the greatest teacher of them all. My, mom, my mother was student of my grandmother for 47 years. I've been student of my grandmother for 74 years. But I have so much to learn. This is the prayer to every, for every one of you and your families. It's in, that's in my language. This is the way I do it. Oh ho! Oh ho! Oh ho! Oh, 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 oh,
listening to the sanctuary podcast with angel deer while you're listening browse the website at www.thesanctuaryheal.com thank you uncle uncle i want you to to ask you about your people Mm -hmm. because the land is changing and like you said you're you were a runner for all the elders, and now you are the elder, the one, mm-hmm. the older one here. Are the tradition being carried today on your land in Greenland? And are that, are, do you see the younger generations or people interested, you know, in this tradition? And how do we revive or keep this tradition alive in a world that's changing so much? Because I imagine nature is changing, you know, the ice you use for some ceremonies is changing and the animals and the birds, just everything is changing. So how do we keep that alive and how do we respond to this world that we have in front of our eyes, you know, not a past world, but the world we have today. And how do we bring that into this world? How do you do that and how your people are doing that? It, it sometimes it's a challenge. Mm. Some some today's a challenge. Excuse me. It's an Italian water. Very good. 
get my time for advertising. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, it's a challenge. Just like everywhere else on Earth, things are changing really badly fast. Greenland is no exception. I happen to be on the last generation who was born into an ancient tradition. I'm going to be 75 this year. So that's a long time. But um, long time ago, I was in that world where everything was traditional. Where there was no electricity, no running water, no modern clothes. All my clothes were skin. The, my boots, my pants, my vest, my underwears, so my hat, my gloves, all, all skins. And I stopped using the skins um, when I was 15, 16. So that's all. I got my first shoes, the real, so I was the first one in my family to have real shoes in 1961. The first time I had heels and shoes. And it was really funny, when you walk around the rocks, you can hear the echo. And there was another boy who had shoes also. So all the kids would come to listen to the echo of our heels. And that was I was really a modern man then. Very modern. They were too big, but I didn't care. But I was I wanted to be modern. So things have changed really rapidly now. Yes, I'm now a grandfather, and I'm going to become a great grandfather. I'm not allowed to ask when. I'm not allowed to ask to know what child is coming. It's really really difficult to to be kept quiet like that by your own children. So I had to have the patience to wait to the day when I become a great-grandfather. I asked for that already when my daughters were born, but they couldn't understand why I wanted to be a grandfather. But now they understand I want to be a great-grandfather, So, and I will become a great-grandfather sometimes this year. In 2022, so I look forward to it. Then I will offer everybody a cup of coffee, or you have to come, and I will offer you a cup of coffee. Then you will meet a new man, a great grandfather. Oh, I get I sweat now, just excited, excitement of becoming a great grandfather. So it's really interesting. My children, all of them, have been my helpers. My old son, I met him when he was 12 years old. And he became a helper, and he's still my helper when I do ceremonies in the native community. Then my old daughter, she works in a hospital in psychiatry, but she wants to do the same as his, her father. Then my Young daughter, she was a businesswoman who wanted to do the same as his, her father, so she became a nurse. And my young son, 
he wants to be a medical doctor. He wants to do the same as his father. So I'm very privileged in that regard. And then my nephews and nieces, and I have 33 of them. So in my family, there are those interests in keeping the traditions. And one of my brother, younger brothers is a, is a elder also for the ice system. So, but unfortunately he's disabled after a stroke. So, so it, it's really, well, he'd been traveling with me all throughout Europe and in North America. And uh, my, I took my eldest in Canada and United States and in Amazonia, in Switzerland, in Austria, in Germany, Holland, and, and in, throughout Europe, traveling with me and showing, you know, supporting me. So that tradition is still there. Or would it be like the way I, I grew up with it? A lot of my kids can tell the stories. I myself, I have never read a book. I have never, I read New York Times uh, weekend newspaper, learn to speak English. The weekend paper used to be that thick, as you know. And I would read it from front page to the back. And I would read loud to myself so I can speak English because I, I never learned it. And uh, so I, I would say thank you to New York Times. They allowed me to be able to speak English. So now my family is into the traditions. And, and it's really interesting. I was given two tasks to do, spiritual tasks. Well, my mother and my father. I became the first native postmaster in American Air Base in Kanazusho when the American military was there based during the Cold War. So in 1969, I finished my college and I went there to work as a postmaster. So I invited my mom and dad. They were so proud. They were so happy. You know, their son became the first native postmaster. And um, so, and my father has always loved Kanazusho because that's his ancestral land is there. So after the big airplane left for for the weekend to, to Copenhagen, <clears throat> I finished my work in the office and then I went home and my mother was making coffee and my father and I were sitting in, in my little living room and I said, tomorrow morning, you go to the sacred site and you, sacred site. It's a lookout mountain of my, his mother's family. So next morning, my mother prepared coffee and thermos and, and sandwiches and we got into the car and we drove 33 kilometers down the bay, on the mountain. It was a 
huge antenna, 450 meter tall antennas, listening devices for listening to Russia. And um, but the mountain was like that. We slowly climbed it up, 458 kilometers, 458 meters. That's not a very big mountain, just a knoll. But on the west side, dark sledge can come up. You, they can drive up to the top. And um, there was Inusuk, a stone ward, which has fallen down. Stone wards are made of uh, landmarks or traffic lights. There, you build it up. So we built up, it blown away. People who don't know how to build Inusuk, they will always blow away because the winds can be very, very strong. So my mother and my father, we fixed it up and then and then he was looking through the rocks. Then he called me. So I went up to him. And then he said, look, there was a little hole amongst the rocks. And I could see way down there, 20-some kilometers away, another stone ward. That's why and it's on that enormous land we never get lost. Those are totem poles, like in the people of the woods. So they had totem poles. So people, when they're hunting out in the wilderness, they know how to get home safely. The same thing goes for us. Ours are stone wards, inusuks, the ones which looks like men. And then there's always a little hole in there. We don't have binoculars, but when you make that little hole, it becomes like a binocular. So you can see 20 kilometers away another Inusuk. And that's how you can travel without being lost. Today, tourists get lost because they don't know how to look through the Inusuks. They don't know how to use them. It's hill on hill upon hill on hill and 24 hours, 24 hours sun shining, and you don't know which way is what, so people get lost. Every year, people get lost. So so when you're a native person, you know exactly what to do and how to how to use that land without being lost. So, so we did that. And my father then said, um, my mother was sitting in front of the Inusuk, resting, my father and I talking, and he said, yeah, <clears throat> you bring home the sacrifice. I knew exactly what he was said. She said, I grew up with the stories of a sacrifice coming home. And I looked at him, he says, and I looked at my mother, she, she, she just nodded, yeah, you do that, you do that. So, so I was asked to bring back ancient prophecy of fire coming from the earth, not just from seal fat. So I did that 40 years. It took me personally 40 years, 4-0, but I made it. My great aunt, my uncle, my, my last remaining uncle, my father's youngest brother, he was still alive, and then I traveled with him in 
North America and Canada and US and in Europe and, and in Brazil. So they were there. They were guiding me and assisting me and, and help, helping me, assisting me and guiding me to what I should do. And I brought home the sacrifice and fulfilling ancient prophecy, becoming alive. I did that. The second one is a center for healing. So I'm going to go home now. At the end of this month, I'll go home and I will start building a center for healing. Why center for healing? In 1969, just like in where you live now, and go, there, my family down where you live, they were impacted by sources from outside. Fire drink came, and in the modern day, drugs came. The sacredness of the drugs, like peyote, disappeared. That it became a recreational thing for people and really confused millions of people. And when you are in the influence of such things, you don't have that independence anymore. You become in apathy for whatever happens. That's what happens. So impact of those abuse of tobacco, alcohol, and sacred medicines has really caused destruction in our systems of, as Native people. So same thing when Denmark starts to develop Greenland, they start to build apartment complexes, roads, electric facilities, their harbors, and everything. Except they didn't use Native people because they didn't have education. But it's so interesting. My family, they will hunt the biggest animal on earth, blue whale, with simple harpoons. Simple harpoon. They will kill an animal forty thousand kilo animal. 40,000 kilo with harpoon. And they will haul it to the land. They don't lift it, but they help each other hauling 40,000 kilo to the land and butcher it. And there's food for everybody for times and times to come. They knew how to do things like that. My great-great-grandfather's home is that still standing there more than 500 years old. 
It's never been repaired. It's just standing there. My family goes and stays there. The modern houses the white man built, 30 years, they don't last 30 years. But they were not hired to build these houses. So they stood there in their hands in their pockets. And Danish people get paid beers for the weekend. So alcohol came in like a swamp, swallowing everything. And in 1969, it was on a high point where every weekend there was fights, abuses, physical abuses, emotional abuses, spiritual abuses, psychological abuses, sexual abuses. And all those drunkenness, the white man was never, he was freed from responsibility if a woman becomes pregnant from him. That child had no right to know his father. That man had no right to pay child support. And thousands of them were born like that. Can you imagine? that you become a father to someone not of your race, and then you are free of responsibility. And that child has no right to know you, and he has no right to get inheritance from you. You're completely free. So today, we know this generation of fatherless people. And then so alcohol was really, really rampant. So the, the, my mother and my father wanted me to create a center for healing. And he says, so our people can stand tall and powerful as they are meant to be one more time. That was 53 years ago in August, this coming August. Now I'm going home. Yes, Corona has delayed me two and a half years now. But now I'm going home this month, at the end of this month. And I will start building. And it will be so amazing if you will come and not only see my land, but also see what spiritual tasks means. Because every one of us, without any exception, we do have a spiritual task. How do we know that? Because every one of us are spiritual beings within. But that takes responsibility. It takes responsibility to carry that task. I remember landing in Geneva in 1978. And they took me to a meeting room to where I got registered, and then they took me to the hotel. On the way to the hotel, we were driving by this big lake, Geneva Lake, and I saw this 
fountain growing up way, way, way up. I was so excited. I grew up every spring, us children, we were more to the teepee, sealskin teepee. So my, our teepee, the older one teepee, were just five meters from the river. So I grew up with the sound of water, which is the most helpful and healing medicine you can have, listening to that water. And so I'm always really, really excited about water. So I got to my little hotel room and I unpacked things, and then I went out to go to the beach of that big lake. And there was this fountain, I would say at least 20 meters tall, a 60 feet tall fountain. Any one of you who have been to Geneva, you have seen that. I walk on a walkway, cemented walkway. I got as close as I could, but I knew that I cannot touch it, but if I touch it, my arm would be gone, with power of that water. But I was under the energy of power. So I decided that that's what we will have at the big lake where the healing center is being built. That was my first decision. That's what we will have. Now I'm going home to create it. Will I be successful? I instructed God, the Almighty, that he better keep me healthy and then keep me strong so I can finish my task. And I will be. And I will go home in a month, in less than a month. And I will start a whole new life. I have never in my life gone anywhere without being invited. Never. With the instruction, I have that I should never show up without being invited. So I just wait for invitation. When I went to Dubai to the invitation by the World Expo, I have no idea why they invited me, but before they had a chance to change their mind, I said, yes, okay, I'll go. So I went. I sat there on a high class of airplanes with an enormous chair, with everything that Earth can offer, Arabian coffee, and I had many of them, and just enjoying high class of life in a five-star hotel, everything free. And then I spoke just a little bit, and that was it. But I met most amazing people. And that was my 75th country to work in. And I think, wow, I grew up in a small village with three houses, but I managed to go around the world. And then I remember my older brother, he was a sailor, and he ended up being the, the one who drive the ship. 
uh, in our language, I don't know in English. Um, he was in Dubai in 1969. People of the sand, that's what we call them. And then he, he says, uh, it's just sand. The houses are sand, the land is sand. But his ship was uh, in a Danish freighter. And then I remember him, if I ever come down there to Dubai, I would do the water ceremony, the song of the water. And lo and behold, I landed in Dubai. And one of the main organizers of the, in architecture of the World Expo, Ahmed, invited me to go to the Old Harbor and chartered a little boat. And it is exactly what I promised my brother, who was there in 1969. And I chanted the Song of the Ocean for him. He died five years ago, but I kept my promise. And that's the kind of responsibility I have as a shaman. Life is a ceremony in itself, worthy celebrating with the ceremony. But when the ceremony loses its spirit, it becomes a ritual. And our grandmother says, and the world as it is, is full of rituals. So we ask her, what does it mean? Is that when you and I, we begin to do things just because that's the way it's being done, we, lo we lose our independence. We lose our own skills. We lose our own capacity. We just become somebody who follows. Never follow somebody. My mother told me, and I looked at her and said, tell me, when you follow somebody, the one you follow sooner or later will fall. And when he falls, you'll be looking at something you know nothing of. So I looked at her, what would I be looking at? She said, your future. Just because you follow somebody, you will never know about your own future. So never follow somebody. And when you do the ceremony, let it grow. Let it evolve. Let it bring joy to yourself, joy to your family and your friends. But build it up. Never let it stop growing. And if it grows sooner or later, that bud will open and let the flower of you, your own beauty shining. And that flower, of course, will come to a full blossom. And when that comes to seeds, that's the result of what you have done in your life. Because you live on this earth, believe it or not, the winds of change will come upon you. And when that happens, the seeds are blown away. But then you will witness something you never thought of. 
another ceremony being born somewhere else, in somebody's heart, somebody's spirit. Another ceremony is born. You know it stems from you, but it's no longer yours. And you witness someone else creating a ceremony, and that person will build it and build it and build it, and at the end, it will repeat itself. A flower will be born, a full blossom will come, and the winds of change will hit you and blow away this seed. And not the one, he will see another ceremony being born. Can you imagine every one of us on earth, seven and a half billion of us, a ceremony together? Just imagine. The last thing I want to mention, and but I want to recognize somebody in the circle. They are, they are, let, let me just find grandmother. Grandmother, are you here? No, maybe grandmother left. Yeah. Uh, Louisa, she left. Grandmother Louisa was here earlier and I didn't have a chance to say hello to her. I apologize. Could you please bring home my love? Angel, mm -hmm. could you please bring home my love? Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to recognize her. The, uh, but I was, I'm a very soft, upsold person, so I didn't have a chance to say hello to her. I regret that now. One day I will become a better man. But the last thing I wanted to tell you is, um, that um, with grandmother Louisa is coming to Greenland from Mother Earth delegation in August. And my assistant is here, Anya. And uh, if any one of you is interested, come. You see, the land of my grandmother is very old. We just don't know how old it is. So one day, I got a phone call from the mayor of the municipality where my land is, my family land. And he said, the mayor says, Uncle, you better come. So I flew home from Europe. And my municipal government had asked Greenland government to make my grandmother's land sacred because my government funded young people to help me building a sacred fire pit when I brought in the sacred fire, ancient prophecy. So the government paid for that fire pit. And I wanted only unemployed young people who are on social assistance, take them away from town and 
and he built it for me. And then, so he asked the government of Greenland to make my grandmother's land sacred. So then my government went to UNESCO and asked them if they can accept it as a heritage land, grandmother's land. So they had come. So I took them to the sacred site. We stood in the circle and I explained to them what that land means. Just one kilometer away from the big ice. When my grandmother was living, it was five kilometers thick. So there was no wind. The wind was flying way above. And the coast was very windy. But where the summer camp is, there was no wind. And it was in a valley, beautiful valley. So the scientists, archaeologists and scientists from UNESCO and Danish government, they were standing there, they were asking me, how old is your grandmother's land? I said, I don't know, I don't know, I really don't know. But one day I was sitting on my grandmother's teepee and I found something black. And I, from a mound of uh, outdoor fire. As you know, when you have made fire in the outdoor, that mound would begin to grow and grass growing, and it was then pretty high. And something had moved out of that mound. So I got up and I cleaned it. It was black. I cleaned it. And it turned out to be a young calf yeah, and caribou's uh, bone here, and that leg, back leg. People had drilled holes in it, so the children can practice the harpoons on that bone. And then, uh, but it fell down, and life went on, and it became stone. I knew that a stone, the bone had to be under the earth without seeing the sun and the oxygen for at least 5,000 years, then it became a stone. So that's, I told them, that's what had happened. So at least 5,000 years. But my grandmother's family never wrote down what day they arrived and and what what clock they arrived at and they don't they didn't have any clocks and nobody had a clock except for Swiss people. Switzerland is the one who invented this clock, so I'd be far away from Switzerland. So on and my grand my great aunt. My grandmother's niece had instructed us that it should be never be ticking at the old graveyard and the long house and the teepee places. It's sacred in our eyes. But unbeknown to us, scientists had taken earth samples to see how long people have lived there. It turned out to be that my family have lived there for about 6,000 years. So that's why I look so old, because 
I have lived there for 6,000 years. But as that was explained to Angel, that thank goodness for L'Oreal, I don't look so old. <laughs> so, so that's now it is my land. Because now I'm the oldest one. Now I will be welcoming you when you come. The only condition I will put forward that if you come, you have to bring one kilo of coffee beans. <laughs> because coffee doesn't grow in Greenland. But then I have enough ice to make you ice coffee. But unless you bring some coffee beans, I cannot make you ice coffee. So I hope. That's the deal. That's the deal. We'll bring you. We'll bring you coffee on call. Maybe even more than one kilo. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so you can stock it for the for the long nights of the winter. Yes. Uncle, then, I yeah, sorry. No, no, just, I just, just want to end, end, end my little story of uh, of the sacred traditions. They were not just sacred for the heck of it. It's somebody building something inside the heart called ceremony. And the ceremony is honored by other people whole families, whole communities, whole nations. That ceremony grows and grows and grows. But because we live on this earth, winds of change will always come upon us and blow away from ourselves. A ceremony we built. Because that seed, which comes from your heart and your efforts, will land in somebody else's heart. And your ceremony will live, but it's no longer yours. It's just persons now. But psychologically, sociologically, you know, it stems from you. That's called history. It stems from you. But then the idea is to let that grow so every one of us can do ceremonies. So I pray that you will become part of that family through ceremonies with the world badly needs ceremony. Mm. Badly. Oh. Sorry I took I talked too much. No, so, you don't no, because I would I would keep listening for a long time and I'm sure everybody here too on call. Um we're arriving to the end of our time and I had so many questions and things and but it's good because now 
you have inviting me, so I'm going to come. <laughs> and uh, I'll have a, a reason to come and visit. But I would like before we, we close here, you know, to, to leave you the end of, I always do that, you know, I don't want to be ending. I want you to all that end here. And I would love to hear, you know, any kind of support that you need, you know, from the people here, what, what can we do to, to support, you know, your work, your people, your land, uh, the retreat center, what's the best way we can be of support. And if you want to finish at the end by another prayer, it's also very welcome too. So thank you so much. One can never do things alone. None of us can. So we need all the help we can get. And I have carried that responsibility for 53 years now in August. And I have taken it seriously. I worked hard because it's going to cost money. I don't know. I don't know if any one of you know something about money. It's an entity, it's an energy. Because um, to build something, it's going to take energy of money. So I had to find the money. And it's, it never rains the money. Here it's, it rains with snow and pretty much of it here. <clears throat> and, um, but, but if you believe, I believe in myself, I do, that I can raise funds. And I did. But of course, just like everywhere else, it's going to take more than what I have to finish a center for healing, which will contain 150-bed hospital, 200 rooms for people who need healing in from alcohol, drugs, sexual abuse, violence, belittlement, psychological, emotional illnesses, 200 people, plus staff. So there will be 2,500 apartments but then they will become completely self-sufficient in that village, 33 kilometers from the airport. And nobody can, no, no one else can build around it. But it's a big building. And, and we will be completely self-sustaining from outside world. So the cost, I don't know if, if you have heard about something called inflation. It's it's imaginary thing where people steal money from you, increasing the prices and 
and increasing their own profit. That's the way the system works. So sometimes I have never, I never, I have never ever asked for money because it's hard enough to live as it is. But now that I'm older, I realize that um, yes, I have done everything all by myself. I traveled the world. I met the most amazing people of the world. I held hands armlessly Nelson Mandela for an hour and a half. Him and I alone. He chanted his grandmother's songs with my drums, two of them. That's the privilege I had. I was the guest of His Holiness Dalai Lama. I didn't know that I'm not supposed to hug him, but he, he met me like that, so I just threw interest and embraced him and sniffed at him. <laughs> Nobody tells me anything, so... So, and then he wanted to... He kept looking at my drum and says, Uncle, can I try? So he instructed him how to do it, and he called his translator, and he stood face to face, and I was in, in between them. And he spoke his own language. And after that, when he finished, he looked at me, he still had the drum up, up, up there, he looked at me and said, Uncle, I talked to my God, and he spoke back. Can you imagine that His Holiness Dalai Lama used my drum to talk to his God and his God spoke back to him? That energy is here. And the list goes on and on and on. I never asked for money. But my assistant Anya, now I can see her on half of the face. That's better. So you can talk to her what I, what, what I would need. All I want, all I would ask for is a kilo of coffee. I will make you coffee. I will drink with you. And you and I will walk in silence for a whole day. And we will walk with only what we think and what we feel. Nobody will say a word. And when you come to the mountain, you can see to the beginning of the curvature of the earth, which means 450 kilometers in one direction. When you turn around, 
you see another 450 kilometers. That means you will be looking at 1,000 kilometers with your own eyes. If you go to Toronto and go to the CN Tower, you cannot see Rochester, 30 kilometers away. That's how polluted it is. But up north, the air is clean. So when you stand on top of the mountain, you will realize there's only one Earth, one sun, and one moon. And you and I all belong on that Earth. As you know, in, this, in the East, when the sun rises, as she leaves the curvature of the Earth, she becomes yellow. Now we have learned that there are actually yellow people on this Earth. And they are stunningly beautiful. I went to their many countries. And in the South, when sun shines highest upon us, she's always white. Now we have learned through TV that there are actually white people on this Earth. I met thousands of them. These are stunningly beautiful people. And in the West, where the sun sets, she's always red. And we grow up being told by our grandmother, you are as red as the setting of the sun. I have visited every single state of the United States, except for Nevada, Colorado, the, um, the, uh, just south of the Oregon and Hawaii. I have visited every single state, every province and territory of Canada, every island on the Caribbean, the Calibano Indians, and all the indigenous people on this earth. I chanted for the Maoris in the wine at the New Zealand exhibit. I met the original peoples of Arabian people, people of the sand. I did the moon song for them. I met indigenous people from Australia, from the islands of Pacifics, from Siberia, all across. And in, in North America, we have 600 tribes, 600 languages in North America. Imagine you live on this continent. Before your ancestors came here, before you arrived here, there were 600 languages on this land where you sleep tonight. 600 languages. How beautiful it is. Stunningly, amazingly beautiful. And at night, it's always black. And now we have learned through TV, there are actually black people on this earth. I have visited with them all over the world. They are stunningly beautiful. So you and I, 
We are on the same earth. There's only one sun and there's only one moon. And there's only one earth and you and I are the citizen of that earth. We are all equal, not better, not worse than anyone, but equal. That's the shaman's work. Oho! 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 part of the Song of the Moon. He was gone. He's gone right now. A new moon just starts tonight. Thank you, Uncle. Oh. Thank you so much. I don't want to speak anymore. Thanking everyone here. We will be sharing links and to support you. And so looking forward to meeting in person. Um, much, much blessing to your uncle and to your family and all mm -hmm. and you know over there. And my love and greetings to all your family members. And tell them that you met your uncle. And the only condition uncle has is you come and visit. But if you don't bring one kilo, you will be put back into the airplane. <laughs> it, it's a joke. Please smile. Please smile. Thank you. Thank you. So, no, you can come. 
and it would be an honor and a privilege for me to welcome you. Thank you, Uncle. Good evening. Good evening to you. Good evening, everyone. Much blessing. You've been listening to The Sanctuary Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Remember, we're a source of talks about spirituality, personal transformation, energy healing, shamanism, and earth-based practices. For more, visit thesanctuaryheal.com. On the website, you can find out about our events, our retreats, healing offering, our spiritual blog, and you can also register for the newsletter. Again, visit thesanctuaryheal.com. Till next time, this is The Sanctuary Podcast, and Angel Deer, signing off.